Let's take our Bibles. Let's look at Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. We'll continue uh, in chapter 11. This is a, a, this is a wonderful chapter. We're going to find how wonderful it is in just a moment. Now, some people have said, uh, did I get, is this a misprint? Did I get the wrong handout? Because it's only one-sided for once. And uh, you, you got the correct one. Uh, so don't worry. Hopefully, uh, um, we'll still get as much out of it here. Now, in, in Revelation chapter 11, we already have seen that the two witnesses come down, and they prophesy, and they prophesy during the first half of the tribulation, and then the, they are killed by the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. And he intends to war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And they lie in the street of the city, there in Jerusalem, three days and a half. And then the Lord does a miracle. He raises them from the dead. And they ascend, while their enemies watch them, they ascend up to heaven. A rapture right in the middle of the tribulation. And we're going to start in chapter 11, down in verse number 14. And here it says, "...the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly." And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. Now let's begin with uh, number one in your outline is the announcement of heaven. And that begins with the announcement of the third woe. Verse number 14, the second woe is past and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now we got a little, uh, a little diagram here. And it will help us to understand. But we're going to look at several verses. So take your Bible, look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. So we saw in Revelation chapter 5, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. All right, then chapter 6, we find that Jesus Christ begins to open the seals. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. All right, so now Jesus Christ begins to open the seals. How many seals are there? Seven seals. And he begins to open them. And with the opening of the first six seals, we have gone through the tribulation for the first time. All right? So there, there weren't only six seals, but we went through all the way. Then you get to chapter 8, and notice here, chapter 8, verse number 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal... All right, and verse number two, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So notice on your diagram, the seventh trumpet, or rather the seventh seal, is what opens the seven trumpets. The seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. Okay, so through the sounding of the seven trumpets, he brings us through the tribulation the second time. All right, so you can, in your notes, if you want, you can say uh, one through six is the first time, 
And then one through seven is the second time. All right. And then chapter eight, look at chapter, uh, we, are, we looked at chapter eight. He had brought us through the first four trumpets and those are bad enough. But then look down in chapter eight, verse 13. And I beheld and heard an angel fly through the midst of heaven with, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So the first four were bad enough. The next three are going to be worse than the first four. So you can see there on your diagram, the, the final three trumpets are the first three woes. The fifth trumpet is the first woe. The sixth trumpet is the second woe. And the seventh trumpet is the third woe. All right, so what he's saying is that these trumpets are really bad. They've got, they've got extra, extra sauce attached to them. Fiery. It's, it's, it's complete supernatural destruction. This is going to be, I guess in the old days you would say, biggie-sized. Right? This is going to be more than just the first four. All right? Look at chapter 11, verse 14. Back to our text for tonight. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And that brings us up to letter B in your outline, the announcement of the heavenly voices. The announcement of the heavenly voices. And it says there in chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So as soon as it sounds, all of heaven begins to lift their voices to the top of their lungs. And they're they're so excited, they're anticipating something that's about to happen. And what is it that they are anticipating? What is it that they know? What is it about the seventh trumpet, the third woe? Well, let's look back in chapter 10, Revelation chapter 10, and look at verse 7. Revelation 10. Now, remember, we're looking at uh, which trumpet is about to sound. The seventh one. Okay, look at chapter 10, verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Notice, the mystery of God is going to be finished, and it's the mystery that he declared to his servants, the prophets. This is the mystery. So let's, let's hold our place there. Look over, if you would, back to 1 Peter. Flip back to 1 Peter and look at verse number uh, 10, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Okay, so we're talking about the seventh angel, and the seventh angel... is connected with this finishing up, the seventh trumpet, finishing up the mystery of God. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. He says that uh, in, in verse number 9, the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets, remember chapter 10, verse 7, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, comma, 
and the glory that should follow. So this mystery, the mystery of God should be finished. What is this mystery? They are wondering, the prophets are wondering in the Old Testament, they're saying, what is, the Spirit was moving them, and they were trying to figure out what the Spirit was saying. And it wasn't that they were in a trance. They knew the words, but they didn't understand what was being said. So if I were to say something like to you, uh, I, I need you to go and buy a replacement discombobulator. You can understand the words, but what are you saying? And then, if, if there were things that were said that you understood, but it didn't, it didn't come together. So, for instance, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, they're in, in the book of Matthew, right? You understand the words that are being said, but God has his word set up in such a way that, that you need to compare spiritual things with spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God. And you need me to be able to connect those dots together, or you will walk away thinking that you understand the Word of God, and you don't. There's a real danger in that. And, and here he's saying, the prophets, what did they do? They inquired and they searched diligently. What were they searching for? They were searching for what the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, was signifying. Now remember Revelation chapter 1. He said he sent by his angel and signified it to his servant John. He's explaining it. it it's when, when, when someone who has the ability to write and, and draw and think at the same time, which I do not have, I can barely think, let alone do anything else at the same time. When that person walks up to a board and says, it should be like this, it looks like they are signifying or signifying, right? So they didn't understand what the Spirit of God was signing to them what he what were, what do these symbols mean? And you know this this uh, feeling, don't you? When you go through the book of Zechariah and Haggai and go through Ezekiel, the wheel in the middle of the wheel. What is this? What is this? I mean, it's a great song. Don't get me wrong, but what does it mean? The wheel in the middle of the wheel, right? And that's what the prophets. You know, guys, listen. We're we're not the only ones that don't know what's going on. The guys who said it in some cases didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand it. You will not understand this book without the Holy Spirit of God. And even with the Holy Spirit of God, there are things that he will not reveal to you right away. You know, well, I don't get anything out of the Bible. Well, like Brother Gip was saying, it's his book. Maybe just coming to the Bible and not getting anything is an act of worshiping God. Because you're saying, God, I'm waiting for you. When you're, when you're ready to tell me, I'm listening. Now, look at, he says, look at verse number 11. The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So the mystery to them is not the glory, but the sufferings of Christ. The mystery was how could he be a suffering servant and a king in glory? How do those things go together? It's a mystery. How do I know it's a mystery? Because when I talk to a Jew about Messiah, and that, the, and that the Bible points to, in the Old Testament, points to Christ, Jesus Christ being Messiah, they don't see it at all. Why? Because they're looking for someone to fix this mess. What, what if we were told, you know what the answer to America is to get a president that gets killed? That's what would fix America. 
Somebody who could be beaten and dragged through the street. Someone who could be nailed to a cross. That would fix America. You know, we know about the cross, and we wouldn't even believe that. We believe in the cross, and we wouldn't believe that. Can you think of the Jews? The Jews are, what, that doesn't make any sense. That's foolishness. Their, their minds are blinded because they use their own wisdom, and they don't search diligently. But even the prophets who did search diligently had a hard time figuring it out. So look at verse number 12. Unto whom it was revealed, now this is a, no oh my, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things. How many times do we look at, Lord, what do you want for, for, for what do you have for me? What's for me? What's for me? What's for me? And thank God he gives us what we need. Aren't you thankful for that? But can you imagine being a prophet and getting a bunch of scripture that didn't apply to you, it applied to somebody else? That's why the, the, the Holy Spirit of God in us is constantly thinking about other people. Other people. Not just us. Other people. Who else needs this message? You know who needs it? Besides yourself, your family needs it first. The love of Jesus Christ. Hey, dads, your wife needs it. Your wife needs that cherishing and nourishing. And parents, your kids need that cherishing and nourishing. It does no good to think about saving the heathen if we're not saving the heathen in our own house. We've got to work with these kids, right? He's saying here, not on themselves, unto us that administer the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So they did not, they did not understand that, that his coming would be in two advents, right? That period between being a suffering servant and a conquering king is what we call the church age. We are in a parenthesis between the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And it sure seems like we're in the waiting room, doesn't it? Uh, what, what's going on, man? What's going on? When, Lord, what are you doing? Well, we joined the list of many believers that felt the same way. So back in Revelation chapter 10, I want you to look at, uh, in verse number 7, he said that when the seventh trumpet sounds, that, peer, that tribulation period is going to be over. He said the mystery of God should be finished in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. In those days, the voice of the seventh angel. So it's not immediately when he blows it's done, but it's in those days that the mystery of God should be finished. Tribulation period's over. Why? Because the suffering servant becomes the conquering king. And, and you can see that king. Look at chapter 10, verse number one. He describes the conquering king coming in his kingdom. Chapter 10, verse one. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun. Now we know there's a rainbow at his throne, but here's a rainbow on his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices." You ever see that? Uh, a, a lion do that? Maybe in a movie or you've seen it uh, in a zoo or maybe somewhere on the safari. You've seen a lion where he plants his paw and he is saying, this is my domain. And he roars. 
It's an, it's a, it's an awesome thing, uh, using the word awesome in its true sense. And, and why? Because the earth is the Lord, Psalm 24 tells us. It's mine. You see it in sports nowadays. It used to be the guy would you know, make a basket or score a touchdown, and, and you know, he would pump his fist, and now he does this whole little drama. He has a whole thing that he puts on. Gets all his friends and family to come and, you know, invite some hands out tickets and they do this whole little thing. But, you know, a guy will, you know what a guy will do? You watch him, uh, especially watching basketball here recently. A guy will be missing, missing, uh, being defended so well he can't score and he's going on. He's frustrated, frustrated. It builds up and finally he'll get, he'll get somebody to get a, you know, back door. He gets a breakaway. He goes down and he dunks it with both hands and he, he yells and he, he, he pretends like he's Superman and he yells at the top of his lungs. What is that? That is a combination of all my frustration coming out, but meeting victory. It's saying, finally, I have succeeded. And that's what the lion is saying right here. The lion is roaring, saying, this place belongs to me. This is mine. Well, you should quiet down and have some peace. Well, this is not the time for peace, my friends. This is the time for rejoicing. And, and so we find that in chapter 15, this is when the great voices in heaven are lifting up. They're joining. You can see the lion roaring, and everyone hears that lion roar. And I'm telling you as a believer, when you see Jesus Christ roar, you know what's going to hold you back? Nothing. You're going to finally be free of all your inhibitions, all your fears, all your worries, all your disease and pain, all your family history, all your problems, all the junk that happens in this world, and you are going to feel like a beam of light is just joining up with the Son of God, and it's coming out of your very soul, and all of God's people are just going to be screaming at the top of your lungs. And it's going to make uh, the big house and the the horseshoe uh, sound like an Amish afternoon. It's going to be amazing, deafening, and that's coming. That is on the way. So we talk about the announcement. The inhabitants of, the, of heaven here, they know exactly what this means. And they're going to literally reverberate heaven. So what does this mean? Chapter 15, or chapter 11, verse 15, it's the arrival of the kingdom. The arrival of the kingdom. Notice it says in chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. This is when it happens, when Jesus Christ sets his foot on the sea and on the earth. Now, what happens, a lot of folks, and you'll hear this today, you'll hear just doing kingdom work. Just trying to just trying to bring, you know, just trying to build the kingdom, just trying to help further the kingdom. And there is some truth in that, the kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom. But there are many Christians who believe that we are literally preparing the way for the king. And that when we finally bring peace on earth, making sure we build enough houses or feed feed enough dogs or dig enough wells, when we finally do that, we will bring in the kingdom. And uh, the idea is that Jesus Christ is waiting for us to clean up the room before he comes back. And there are folks that really believe that that's happening. But the problem with that is that it's not just spiritual. It's not just spiritual. Even if we could throw our backs into it 
And every believer was pumped up about getting the gospel. Can you imagine what that would be like? Even if we were able to do that, that is spiritual. That is people being saved and being born into the kingdom of God, into the family of God through the new birth. And they're going to be with, with God forever in heaven. But, but don't forget about all of the other promises in the Old Testament. So for instance, in Isaiah chapter 11, you could look back there. You know what this means? When the kingdom of God comes, if we're really bringing in the kingdom, you know what that means? That means we have to get dogs to stop chasing cats. I mean, that's what it means. It means we have to get, we have to get my, cats to stop chasing mice. Why? You go to Isaiah chapter 11 and you see the changes that happen in the animal kingdom. You know what people say today? They say we need to be nice to animals. And yes, we should. But how many people are teaching animals to be nice to other animals? You know, when Jesus Christ returns, animals will be nice to other animals. I mean, you're talking about vegetarian tigers. You're, you're talking about uh, toddlers. We could set poisonous snakes loose in there, and they would be fine. That's the kind of changes that happen when Jesus Christ returns. And you know what's amazing about this? We think about all the things that we have uh, that we've worked our scientific. Uh, in, inventions and progress and improvements, and we've we've moved so far ahead. But you know, there hasn't been one thing that's brought us one step closer. There hasn't been one thing invented that's brought us one step closer to bringing in the kingdom of Jesus Christ as it is described. It's amazing. Uh, the only advancements that we've made in the last one hundred years are all going to dovetail nicely into the ministry of the Antichrist when he comes. It's all just going to help him bring in his kingdom. You know, when people talk about bringing in the kingdom, they may not realize it, but they may be helping bringing in the kingdom of the Antichrist. Hey, and, and I'm all for digging wells. I think it's very, we've taken up money here at Hope Baptist to help do that. It's very important. But what we understand is it's not about the physical alone. It's about the soul. We're after the soul, the eternal state of man. That's what we're after as believers. Why? You know what you could end up with, if we're not careful, people who are well-fed and totally hydrated and go to hell. That's a, we don't want anybody to go to hell. Now, that doesn't mean we say, you're going to hell till you get saved. Can I have some water? No, you can't have any water. You don't need water. You need Jesus. It's not likely that they're going to want Jesus. Of course we want to do that. But we've got to be careful. And it's just an inch away from trying to care for someone. You've got to watch it. Trying to care for someone's physical needs to where it's easier to forsake the, 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 the reproach of the cross and say, well, because... It make, I don't want anyone to feel bad. I want them to feel good first, and then I'll talk about Jesus. You've got to be careful with that. You've got to be careful. Now listen, uh, I don't know anybody that ever got saved because someone got in their face and said, now you get down now and pray. It doesn't happen. That guy has to go away and lick his wounds and humble himself, if indeed he ever does. It takes a real man to be able to come back from something like that. It takes a real mature woman to be able to come back from a tongue lashing. Some people have done it. Most people don't. You know what they'll say? I never want to see another Christian again. They're wrong. They're wrong, but they're not going to get saved. 
So we do have a responsibility to be kind, but that's not the same as bringing in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It just isn't. So the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come when he busts out a white horse and comes riding down through the universe and he plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. And and then when he touches down, he's going to jump off that horse and he's going to crush the Antichrist under his feet. And then after that, he's going to go back over and, and cast him into the bottomless pit. And then he's going to go back over and get on the horse and go right into Jerusalem. And everybody's going to say, Hosanna to the son of David. So that's, that's the actual kingdom. That's when the kingdom will come. You know, the, the kingdom of this world right now, the kingdoms of this world don't belong to Jesus Christ. They belong to the prince of this world. And the, the, the word, that phrase, the prince of this world, is used three times in the book of John. It's used, if you want to write it down, you can look it up later, chapter 12, verse 31, chapter 14, verse 30, and chapter 16, verse 11. The prince of this world. It's not Jesus Christ. Jesus is the prince of peace, but he's not the prince of this world. The prince of this world is Satan. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us he's the prince of the power of the air. And he's working right now in the children of disobedience. You know why you have problems in Toledo? Because the prince of the power of the air is the spirit that now worketh in the children of Toledo. That's what's going on right now. Spiritual warfare. And we, if we're not careful, we forget that. We think, well, it's the Democrats, it's the Republicans. No, it's the prince of the power of the air. And he is working in the hearts of men and women everywhere. But, but he, has this, he has this ability to control. You know, when he offered Jesus there in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, he took him into a seating high mountain and he showed him in a moment all the kingdoms of the world. Now, I don't think he necessarily went to a mountain on this world. I think he went to some a mountain, uh, you know, maybe the real Mount Zion in heaven. And he said, let me show you all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all these things will I give thee. And Jesus didn't say, that's a lie. They don't belong to you. He legitimately offered them to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? No, no, no. I don't need to take anything from you. Yes, you are the prince of this world. Yes, those kingdoms are in your control, but I'm not getting them from you. And as a side note, guys, God will give you things that you can't force out of anybody else's hand. But it's not going to happen right now. And be careful when you get everything that you've ever dreamed for. It may not be what you thought that it was. Here, Jesus would have received the kingdoms of this world. But guess who? If a guy gives you a gift, you owe him. Especially when you're dealing with Satan. He's telling him, look, we can skip this whole suffering and dying on the cross thing, and you can go straight to the top. There is a way to get rich quick. And he said, no, I'm not taking it. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. All right, so what we're seeing here, for 6,000 years, Satan has had the control of this, of this thing. And in Revelation chapter eleven fifteen, now Jesus is taking what is rightfully his. Remember Isaiah 9, 6? Unto, you, unto, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. In the last 2,000 years, uh, you can't say that about any government. Now, there have been governments who have said, we believe in Jesus Christ. But there haven't been any Christian nations 
How can there be a Christian nation? We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. It's a spiritual kingdom. That doesn't mean we don't have uh, uh, Christian principles in our heritage. Of course we do. And thank God for it. We have men who have stood and said, thus saith the Lord. And, and we have people in government who have said the same in some cases or have been willing to be influenced by those who have said the same. I look back on the Danbury Baptist Association that wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. Said, hey, uh, there's, there's, nothing in the, there's nothing in the Constitution that keeps the state from taking over churches. And so he said, okay, well, let's, let's put in an amendment there in the Bill of Rights. Let's make sure that the uh, state stays out of the church. And, and it wasn't, let's make sure that the church has nothing to do with the state. How do I know that? Because when I walk around Washington, D.C., I see the Bible. When I, walk, when I go into the House of Representatives, I see, I see Moses and the Ten Commandments in the very houses of government. What does that mean? It means that God's people at that time were much more involved and were vocal about what is right. But another thing that it means is that our culture generally agreed with that. And what we're fighting now is not that there's not good Christians in government, and we need more. We need people that can stand and go, and listen, that's in, that's in the trenches. There's no doubt about it. But, but the problem is they're fighting against the course of this world. The course has changed. There's not as many people that would stand and say, thus saith the Lord. Now, that should be you and I. We should be standing, and we should be investing our time and energy in the government as much as we can, and we should be praying for those that are in leadership. But uh, we have to be honest with ourselves. The kingdoms of this world don't belong to Jesus Christ. And the reason why we are filled with angst every four years is because the government is not on his shoulder. He's not carrying this thing. Somebody else is carrying it. But when he comes again, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So let's look at uh, number three is the adoration of the saints. Adoration of the saints. So all the saints of the church age are up there. They received their glorified body. They've been up there for approximately seven years uh, or, or, or something like that. They're anticipating the sounding of that seventh trumpet. When Jesus Christ would stand up off his throne and come down. And look at verse number 16 of Revelation 11. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast, here's how the kingdom of Jesus Christ comes in, thou hast taken to thee thy great power. He took it. When he was here, he was mocked as a king. They put a crown of thorns on him, and he, he allowed them to punch him in the face. But now he walks over to the kings, and he, he grabs them by the nap of the neck and throws them off the throne and says, that's my seat, and he sits down. Now, a lot of uh, uh, new believers or, or modern believers don't like this concept of Jesus taking to him his great strength. But guys, there's only so much you can do with, with passive resistance. You know why we talk about passive resistance? Because the government is not on his shoulder. And you know why we're worried about anybody that would do it uh, as a human? Because humans are corruptible. 
But you're talking about the righteous God who comes down and every move that he makes and every word that he speaks is completely holy and righteous. And you don't have to wonder. I I wonder, I wonder, he better not go too far. You know what I love about this? You never have to worry about Jesus because everything he does is right. And if you're worried about him, there's something wrong with you. That's what's awesome about Jesus. You can't say that about any leader leader, uh, on this earth. Why? Let God be true and every man a liar. But when you're watching Jesus Christ work, you can just rest in his work because everything he does is right. You never have to question. This, by the way, is the first request that we're supposed to make when we pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the first request? Thy kingdom come. We ought to pray, Lord, bring in your kingdom. I'm not bringing it. Lord, you bring it. Thy kingdom come. Let it be. And Lord, let that kingdom come in a spiritual sense in my heart today and in my family's lives. And, And in our church, Lord, let your kingdom reign as if Jesus Christ were on the throne and this was his base of operations. Lord, you reign, right? Well, if you, if, let's look at the, about the four and twenty elders real quick. If you would go back to chapter four, chapter four, verse number nine. <clears throat> we'll, we'll do a quick survey here. Look at the beasts give glory in verse nine, verse ten. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, "Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things." And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Notice the four and twenty elders, every time we find them here, we're going to see them worshiping. And, and I don't know exactly who they are, but I'm, I'm going to throw out the idea, and I believe it can be, it can be uh, backed up in Scripture, that they are, at least half of them, are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Believers. They represent the church. And what are they doing? They are worshiping him. Why? Because he's the creator. Notice in verse 11, thou hast created all things. All right, now look at chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see that they're asking, who's worthy to open the book? They look through all the universe. No one's worthy. And uh, there's total silence. Nobody moves. Nobody's worthy. And then look at verse 6. And behold, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of them that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, Thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. He's not just the creator, he's the redeemer. Redeemed us out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And notice again, they fell down before the Lamb. So, one of the reasons why I talk about uh, worship <clears throat> is because uh, I'm trying to get us ready as the b- believers to worship Jesus Christ in heaven. That is something that is done all the time in heaven. Worshiping God. Go to chapter 11. Now we come to the third mention of the four and twenty elders. Look at verse 16. The four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces. 
So they didn't just bow down. They didn't just fall down. Now they're on their faces and worshiped God. Not only is he the creator, not only is he the redeemer, but as we just saw here in chapter 15 or chapter 11, verse 15, he is the possessor of heaven and earth. He owns it all. What's the posture? The posture of our worship. It's falling down. Worship is our expression to God of what he is worth to us. That's what it is. It's our expression to God of what he is worth to us. It's humbling ourselves before him and ascribing to him the authority. The authority. He is worthy of all praise. And what I'm saying when I fall down is I'm saying, God, your way is more important than my way. You can see there, they were sitting on their seats. And now they fall down on their face. They, 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 they're no longer on their feet. Their feet are no longer taking them the direction that they want to go. They've even given up their feet. They're saying, Lord, your way is more important than my way. And your will is more important than my will. I'm willing, Lord, for you to have your way and your will in my life. That's what bowing does. That's what worship is all about. And then we see letter B, the proclamation of our worship. There's always a posture and a proclamation with the four and 20 elders. They say here in verse 17, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty. We need to thank God on a regular basis. We need to use thanks as a, com- uh, as a way to combat our selfishness, our despair, our anger, our envy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know what would be something good to teach your children from a young age? To say thank you all the time. And then teach yourself to say it. Thank you. Thank you. You ought to teach them every, every, every time they get something to write a thank you note. Right? Thank you for this. And you've never seen someone roll their eyes higher in the sky than a child who is forced to write a thank you note. <laughs> it goes directly up. And, and, and why? Because of the selfish nature. I want to get stuff. I just don't want to say thank you for it. And, and, and we have to learn to do that. Here are the four and 20 elders. They fall down and they say, we give thee thanks we are so thankful, God, for what you are doing. Have, have you thanked God recently? Have you thanked him? Because, you know, that's, how, that's one way that you can be a good Christian is by thanking God. You can show God how much you love him by thanking him. So the, the, the expression here is, is for what? It's for who he is. For who he is. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty. In his supremacy, he is the Lord God Almighty. In his sovereignty, he has all might. That's why he's called the Almighty. He is sovereign. And in his eternity, Jesus Christ the same. When? Yesterday and today and forever. Here he he is and he was and he's coming. 
Who, well, what, when I look in the past, I see what? I see God. This is what they're saying. When we look in the past at our lives on earth, we see you. And, and we look right now in the front of you. We see you in front of us on the throne. And, and we see that you are worthy, God. And then we see what you're about to do as the seventh angel sounds. And we're saying, Lord, you are worthy. And we are thankful. We're thankful for what you did back there. We're thankful for what you're doing right now. And we're thankful for what you're about to do. That covers it all. And I would, I would guess that somewhere, if you've got to check on your spirit or you've got something that you're really struggling with, it's probably to do with an inability to thank God in one of those areas. You're either unable to thank God for what happened in the past, you're unable to thank God for what's going on right now, or you just can't dream of thanking God for what you are pretty sure is coming. But can I remind you, that they weren't talking about things and circumstances, and they weren't talking about people. They were talking about God. God was in the past, God is today, and God is in the future. He is working. He has worked, he's working, and he is going to work. Everything else pales in comparison. Maybe what you ought to do is say, God, would you give me a glimpse of the throne room and how big you are and what you are doing right now? And what you are going to do is eternity. They're thankful for what he is, for who he is, and they're expressing gratitude for what he has done. Well, what has he done? Well, this is what he has done. He has exercised what is his. Thou hast taken to thee thy great power. <laughs> you ever see a... You ever see a little kid or a little dog bother a big dog? And, and you know that dog could just rip him up, but he just sits there and sits there and sits there. But at this point, the sleeping lion has taken to him his great power. He's flexing his muscles and he stands up. He could have exercised his power any time in the last 6,000 years, but he didn't. You know, he could have exercised his power when Adam and Eve took the fruit. And when that slithering serpent deceived them or deceived her. He could have. He could have crushed the serpent right there, but he didn't. He waited. You know, if you fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus could have exercised his, his, uh, his power right there with his disciples. Remember, he said, I could pray right now and, and my father would give me 12 legions of angels. Twelve legions, that's a lot of angels, and that's, they're really powerful, considering one killed over 200,000. So what does that mean? It means that the Lord is withholding his strength and his power. It's sitting right there, but he's not picking it up. Why not? I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3 as we close. Ephesians chapter 3. Here is why he has not yet taken to him his great power and established his kingdom on the earth. He talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, about the mystery in verse number 3. And he says in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is it? Here's the reason why he has not yet exercised his great power. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body, 
and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You say, no, 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 it's a, it's a tribulation when he does it. No, what, 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 why haven't we entered into the tribulation yet? Because the Lord is intending to bring as many people into his kingdom as he possibly can. That's why. And that's why, by the way, Paul said, I'm in the ministry. Verse number seven. That's why he made me a minister. And he says in verse eight, here's the ministry. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, that Jew and Gentile can worship Jesus Christ together in the same body. It was hidden. But now in verse 10, he said, I'm going to show the principalities and powers in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. How? By the church. The church is supposed to do it. Guys, this is more than, than just a, a get-together. That being in a, in a body of Christ is more than just a, a social fellowship. We, we have an opportunity to unite with... I mean, we believe in Jesus Christ. If you're going to believe in Jesus Christ as, as, as Lord and Savior, you've got to remember that He is not only Lord of your heart, He is going to become the Lord of the universe at some point. And that's going to include this nasty old world. He is going to take his reign on the, he's going to dominate. He is going to take away power. Now I want you to think of the worst leader in human history you've ever thought of. Maybe he's alive today. And I want you to think about Jesus Christ going over there and taking him or her and saying, you're done. You are done. You have no power. That is coming. It's coming with every single ruler. And with, may I say, the combination, the archetype of, of, of the worst human leader you could ever think of, including Hitler, you, you, and you name all the way down through the, through the history, the worst leaders you can think of, they're going to combine into the worst one called the Antichrist and the beast, the false prophet. Those guys are going to be together. Beast and Antichrist, same thing. But they're going to come together into that, that tri- tri- trinity of evil. And Jesus Christ is going to come down and he's going to stamp it out. It's done. It's over. You are finished. You're done. That's your God. That is your God who is going to do what he decides to do. Well, it's a wicked world. Absolutely. It's not wicked enough yet, though. He's going to wait until it's the worst time ever in the history of the world. And he's going to come back and dominate every single one. That's our God. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You know what he says here in chapter 11? He said it was in chapter 3, rather. In verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know why he, decided, you know why he didn't do it? It wasn't according to the eternal purpose. Why he hasn't done it yet? But there's coming a day when he will do it. And guess what? In verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access. That same God that just a moment, you can taunt him, you can mock him, you can laugh at him, you can, you can doubt him, you can, you can uh, scream at him. He's just sitting there waiting to take his power. When he takes his power, it's done. It's over with. That same powerful God is the one that we are in. He said, in whom we have 
boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. You know, this coming today, when he comes, the Bible says he's going to be glorified in his saints and admired in all them that believe. You know what? We ought to get a head start on that. We ought to be admiring Jesus Christ right now. So that are the last uh, point there in your outline, he finally receives what he always deserved. He receives what he deserved. What is that? To reign. In chapter 11, verse 17 of Revelation, it says, Thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. He's always deserved to reign over the earth. But before he would ever take up that throne, before he would ever take that kingdom to himself, there had to be citizens for that kingdom. And so he has been bringing sons of God into his kingdom for the last 2,000 years. And how did he do that? Well, he demonstrated his love to all the world by shedding his blood on the cross. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it possible for us to become a son of God. And he is just waiting. He's waiting until his purpose is fulfilled. And when that purpose is fulfilled, he is going to take this kingdom by force. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. Your death, your ill health, not going to stop it. The problems that you're facing right now, it's not going to stop it. The things that you fear the most, the greatest enemies you can imagine, cannot stop the freight train of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is coming. And listen, it, what you're going through hurts. Maybe the things that you're thinking about that you can't get victory over, you, you're trying to figure out, it bothers you. But just remember this, when the devil has you on the ropes and says, you're the same as your grandparents, you'll never change, it's just all hopeless and dark, this world is wicked, it's Laodicea and blah, blah, blah. Say, all that's true, 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 true. But guess what, Satan? It's not bad enough yet, because when it gets really bad, my God is coming and he's going to kick you off the throne for eternity. Not only that, he's going to chain you up and throw you into the lake of fire. So just have fun while you can. My God's on the way. And I trust him more than my fears. I trust him more than my concerns. I wanted to show you that in Ephesians chapter 3 because we're getting ready to pray. And we have an opportunity to have boldness. The boldness of a lion when we pray. And we have access. We have access. 